Hey all you adventurers, you reavers, you cut purses, you heathen slayers out there. If you're listening to the podcast before midnight on Tuesday, November 24th, 2015, then there's still time. You can back the DCC RPG 4th printing Kickstarter. At the current time, all backers get six free adventure modules, plus print backers get stickers, a custom character pocket folder, and DCC bookmarks. Plus, the print book will include sewn-in bookmarks, a colored dust jacket, built-in four-panel judges screen, drilled-out dictionary thumb tabs, and gilded silvered edges. Operators are standing by. Go to http colon slash slash qr.net slash dccrpg and get your dcc core book pimped out today I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. Okay, five, four, three. This week on Spellburn, we're going to help out some of the new wizards out there by giving you a spell primer. That's right, we're going to go over the list of first level arcane spells tonight. Whether you're new to the game, long time judge, some spells just aren't taken seriously enough because they're taken at face value. We're here to offer some clarifications and to demystify some magics. And with me tonight are Judge Job. Hey everybody! And Judge Jen. Hey guys! Excellent. So let's go ahead and roll this on over to Tavern Talk. And the first rule of bartending is this GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken! Death! Tavern Talk. Okay, so uh, it's been a couple weeks, uh, but not too long. So what's people been up to in gaming? Uh, let's see, this week, let's start off with Jen. Oh, boy. Um, well, this week, um, our DCC table finished the second session of a playtest for a new adventure that... I, I'm going to butcher the name, I apologize. I believe it's Clint Bohati from the... G plus community. Uh, he put out a call, said, "Hey, I've got this new thing. Does anyone want to play test it?" And of course, I'm a dork and raised my hand. It is gorgeous and played so well. It, I think it actually got better reviews from my players than mm, my entire campaign. <laughs> oh man, huh. it's a little little disheartening, but yeah, it was it was really really pretty. Um, Besides that, uh, we just had our 100th session of our current first ed D&D group. So Very we, cool. That's awesome. We started exploring White Plume Mountain last night. 
Cool. What what level was the playtest adventure? Um, the playtest it that was one of the reasons it was being playtested. He wasn't quite sure what level it was going to be geared for. Got it. Um, I recommended uh, roughly third because my my group spanned from like one to six when they were first heading in. So had an average of third, third and a half. <laughs> cool. That's not bad. That's a that's a nice low level adventure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Really good theming. Cool. That's good. It's always nice to see some new stuff out there. Yes. Job, what you been up to? Well, um, did I talk about my hiking adventure and playing DCC in the woods? I uh, no, I don't. I, no. I, that doesn't sound familiar. No. Okay, we heard I, about I, the birthday party that you were hosting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, this is a different one. Okay, so. Uh, I went hiking with my buddies, uh, Bennett and Bart, up in, uh, in the uh, Olympics. And uh, we went to this awesome, like, uh, I don't know, it was like post-apocalyptic campground. There's this campground that used to be a drive-in campground. And um, washouts have made the road um, impassable, like, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago or something. So now it's all overgrown. And the only way to get up there is by hiking. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so we we got our our tents and our backpacks and our Jameson and <laughs> our dice, of course. And we uh, we took the you know it was like a three hour hike to get up to this 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 old campground, and it's so cool. Like you know, just the roads overgrown and there's all these street signs as you're going up, like falling over on the side of the road. Oh wow! Yeah, we slept right by like a a river. The uh, Dosa Wallops River. Okay, and, you know, this sounds pick. like an this sounds like an adventure that Reverend Dak would have gone on. Come on, yeah. it was amazing. So you know, there, there's picnic tables, and uh, you know, some of the some of them are all like rotted through, and you can't use them anymore. But we grabbed one and pulled it over to our camp and uh, set up a fire. And uh, I and Bart ran us through the ooze pits of Jonas Gralk. Nice. So yeah. I, you know, I don't know what exactly happened in the adventure, but I, <laughs> I that darn re- Jameson. Yeah. I do remember that one, that ducks and wolves are like, I don't know, man, that like someone's got to get them together. Because... <laughs> hey, okay. that sounds like a good time. It sounds like an awesome atmosphere to game in that post-apocalyptic feel. Yeah. Sorry, sounds, yeah. yeah that but sounds a, pretty cool. The fire and yeah, it was cool. You know, I was, when we were walking up there with all of our gear, I'm like, you know, I was just thinking about. You know, man, if I really was, you know, like an adventurer in a DCC campaign, I would have to carry all the with me wherever I was going. This would really suck. <laughs> yeah. It's like how are you supposed oh. to fight something with those packs on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. People don't think about that often enough. I don't think it's a real pain in the ass. And it like my back was broken by the time I got up there and then sleeping on the hard ground on this little tiny mat that's, you know, like an inch thick. Oh, oh I love it. it. It's real world research, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it was great, and uh, I still don't know why they call it the ooze pits of Jonas Grolk. I was like, where's the ooze? Yeah, it was it was a blast, and um, other than that, I don't know. I'm playing in a 5e campaign tonight. It's okay, but whatever. How about but you, it's Jen? it's not DCC, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, how about you, Jeffrey? Uh, so let's see. Uh, my gaming week's been off and on a bit because of summer and some schedules and stuff, but we played uh, Dresden Files last week. Uh, and it was actually pretty fun. It was after that marathon character generation session, oh, like yeah. a whole session of generating characters. Well, we actually got to play 
last week, and it was it was pretty cool. It was a good time. We uh, it was set in Columbus, uh, which is always sort of cool, I think, in games, just because you're intimately familiar with the area. So there's a lot less asking the judge or GM, like you know, where's this at? Instead, we're all referencing, you know classic parts of short north columbus and stuff like that for for things uh so it, it played out pretty well i mean it's a modern variant but we had a good time uh my character's name is mike ness so uh, he likes to listen to a lot of social distortion and stuff like that so it is pretty funny but, but yeah we had a good time that's what we did uh that's what we played last week i think we'll do another couple sessions of it before we switch off to something else so there's a nice Sounds little diversion cool. yeah it was fun so, let's see, with that being our gaming, let's uh, see if we can summon an email or two, and we'll head on over to summon email. You've got mail. Message for you, sir. Summon email. The following emails have been edited Okay, if you want to email us, you can email us at theband at spellburn.com. We love to get an email, and let's see, what do we got in there tonight, Jen? Um, well, we've got a pretty big uh, grimoire in front of us, so we're going to just cut it short and pull one out of the bag tonight, I think. Uh, this one comes from Tim White. Cheers, Spellburners. Thanks for your great podcast. I've been burning through all the episodes at twice the speed since I discovered the DCC RPG. I actually ran the Idols of the Rat King level zero when it first came out under third ed. It's amazing to see where DCC has come since then. My question is related to the role and treatment of ladies in old school gaming and in the appendix end literature. Much of that literature is not very progressive in terms of the roles and ways that ladies are treated. There are notable exceptions, of course. I'm very curious what experience you all have had with the lady vibe in old school games and the community around them. It seems like it might engender a more old school treatment of gender. How had this worked out for you all? Well, it's a very interesting email, Tim. It might open a can of worms, so to speak. But it, it's also a really interesting question. What would you guys chime in on? Uh, my groups were... I, we didn't run into it quite as much. In fact, we oftentimes in the actual play sometimes had comments that were like, this is going to get us in trouble depending on how closely people are listening. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, we were probably stereotypical. <laughs> Just a little? <laughs> Just a little. Like the time I tried to introduce a female ship captain and... Uh, they walked up and said, "No, we want someone that knows what they're doing." So, <laughs> you know, not oh, the, yeah, like yeah, it, yeah, like that. So we were we were not yeah. That's what I meant by stereotypical for some of the groups I've been in. Gotcha. Got anything fun to add, Job? Or are um, you leaving this one alone? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely can see what he's saying. You know, reading appendix and literature, it's you know written in uh, a different era, so. There's definitely isn't uh, the same number of you know kind of strong female characters that um, that I personally like reading, but I you know I think those those stories are great and I really like them and enjoy them and 
they set the foundation for the entire genre, you know, inspire the creation of D&D. So I'm not going to I'm not going to slam them for that. As far as playing with with women, um, I play with my daughters. I think almost every D&D group I've ever been has had at least one female in it. And then uh, actually in, in the, one of the games I play in now, there's there is only one female. She always, she always plays like male characters that are like raping everybody. So I don't, I don't know where you want to file that one, Tim. But she's okay definitely, then. <laughs> she's definitely way beyond anybody else at the table. But, so I don't know. Does that help? Did that answer the question? Um. Well, as far as having a more old school treatment of women. By them playing the game, I, I of course will disagree with with that opinion. Um, geez, half of our games are easily forty five percent women, which is cool to see. And not all of us play female characters, so it it turns out to be a, a little tough for some of the guys to follow because they look at. You know, they look at me, they expect me to be playing that female character, and um, no. <laughs> but depending on the group that you've got, if everyone's all comfortable with each other, it's not a huge deal. That wraps that one up. Yep, I think that, that takes care of that one. So, I guess that, since we're just going to make a small dent in the email, we are going to go ahead, since we have so many spells to take a look at, we're going to go ahead and roll this over to Mighty Deeds. Wait a second. I have an idea. That's plenty for the both of us. I move for no man. <laughs> Tonight, like we said, we're going to go over the arcane spell list for level one. A lot of people coming to DCC, you know, from other systems and things like that, are used to how a spell works and, you know, Pathfinder, D&D, or something like that, where, you know, it, it's got a little summary statement in the book, and it sort of works nearly the same way every time, probably some variable damage in cases, or do you make the save or not make the save. With DCC, things can get a lot more creative, both from just random spell results and just the whole creative bit that DCC seems to throw in. It sort of I think it makes people more creative with their spells. Even when they have a, a spell list, they try to do more with it. Um, so we're going to pretty much start at the top. One of us will sort of give a brief summary of the spell, and then we'll see if we have any tales to tell from games or, or creative thought around those spells. And we'll sort of make our way through the list and see how it goes. So, uh, see, Job, you want to open this up? Yeah, sure. Okay, so <laughs> let's see... Um... All right, so if we start at the top for the first level wizard spells, our first one is Animal Summoning. So uh, it's got a range of 20 feet, casting time of one round. And uh, basically what you can do with this spell is summon and control uh, a varying number of hit dice worth of mundane animals. So your mundane animals is going to be, I don't know, rabbits, geese, uh, lions, whatever. With the spell results, you can summon, I think, one creature up through like an entire herd. So the limiting factor on this is going to be hit dice. Um, the different hit levels say, you know, you can summon three hit dice of creatures or three one-hit dice creatures, something like that. So at the lower levels, yeah, you're not going to summon your your pride of lions. You know, you'll be lucky to get a chicken. Um, but, you know, at higher levels, you could summon a bunch of uh, uh, tigers or something. 
You can control them. You can't make them do suicidal things. And another curious thing about the spell is that you cannot directly harm the animals that you summon. So if you guys, you know, your party is starving, you know, you're going to have oh. to look the other way while they like go slit their throats or something. Oh, oh, that that could be a questionable alignment shift there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's you know you don't want to summon uh, a herd of chickens and and like just send them into the tomb of horrors. And I think maybe that's <laughs> what they're trying to protect here. But you know, I don't know. That is curious. What what would you use them for? The animals. You guys have yeah. What would you guys use them for? Um, I've had someone summon an octopus because they were drowning or because their friend was drowning more specifically so he controlled the creature to save his cohort and put him back on land oh that's a good one I like seeing the creative uses of it as opposed to just summon something and okay go fight on my behalf yeah sometimes something flying for you know trying to get some animalistic alert of is there something out there you can tell if something's spooked or not even if you can't communicate directly with the animal animal summoning is one of the one thing to call out during about animal summoning is you're supposed to have some remnant of the animal to be expended so because i think one of the challenges sometimes with animal summoning is for a judge to uh you know how do you how do you roll with all that so sometimes you can you know tie that into a quest if you want something exotic they need to get some remnant of that or you know, it, it's a potential way to rein in abuse of the spell. And another thing I did, because during a chain coffin, one of my casters had animal summoning, and I went through and wrote up a whole set of, like, sort of base stats. So, like, if you're a one-hit dice animal, it'd have sort of some base stats and then the list, oh, nice. of, list of animals that applied to. So that way, they could throw some stuff at me, and it didn't have to be, well, I don't have stats for that. I'd take this base set. And then, you know, if it was something that was going to be fast, I might give it a slightly faster speed on the fly or something like that. But I had a whole list of, of things like that to help make that spell. Because you know how it is with summoning spells. Sometimes right. it gets me, oh, what do I, you know, what do I do it without stats? So I had several stuff to find and a whole list of example animals. And uh, a lot of my stuff was tailored more towards chain coffin stuff you might find there. but So it could be expanded to bigger stuff. But I found that useful for that spell as well. But this spell has one of the best manifestations out there. Um one of the choices is the animal skeleton appears first, then the organs, then the muscles knit together, then the skin grows and the animal appears. And just nice. God, talk about an awesome vibe at the table for that. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. All right, Jeffrey, you want to jump on this cantrip? Yep, sure, Cam. So cantrip, uh, it's got a, a range up to 20 feet, uh, takes one action and cast, and essentially... It, it it produces minor incantations that produce simple sounds or images. Uh, so, you know, like just something like minor illusions or something like that, that, uh, you know, people can come up with all sort of creative ideas. It is worth noting that it, at its highest level, it can actually cause 1d3 points of damage, which might be crossing the line from uh, illusion to something that can actually harm you. And I, so. I like this one because it says for each result level, it's, uh, you have your choice. You can either have one of the previous effects or this new one. Mm-hmm. And not many of the spells give you that option here. Yeah. And it does give you some, you know, examples in there. You know, fake dog barks, decks of cards, shuffling themselves, tearing buttons off a dress, uh, shoving a mug off a table, uh, 
different things like that. So, you know, there's a couple examples to help give you a frame of reference of what, what you can do and for what you can do for that result on the table. Okay, so next on the list, looks like we have Charm Person. It's got a range of 120 feet. Duration varies on your success rate, and it takes a round to cast, and they do get a will save versus your spell check total. And this one, you can charm any mundane living humanoid. Druids can use it on animals, and wizards can attempt the spell on monsters and undead with a negative two check penalty. And likewise, you can attempt to affect the outsiders and demons with a minus four penalty. At the highest point, you can, well, you can affect anywhere from a single person to a hundred people at once, which could be quite helpful if you've got an angry mob on your tail. Heck yeah. Uh, you can influence the emotions of large groups. It even specifies including crowds of sp- public spectators or armies of angry warriors. Uh, up to 100 people at once. Yeah, and, and it starts with you know a single target makes a will save or be dazed for 1d4 rounds. So it's pretty much that gamut in between. You can't make them do something that they can't that they wouldn't otherwise do you know nothing suicidal much like with the animals but otherwise they're pretty receptive to you and will be your very best friend for that duration and i have had far too many players use this to nerf my npcs (laughs) have you i didn't run into it a whole lot in my game it doesn't seem like yeah i've run into it too you know it's offensive (laughs) and then spell burn charm person Oh, okay. Now we're besties. <laughs> great. <laughs> it's Spellburn Charm Person. That's great. Yeah. I thought it was interesting in this spell that they meant, they specifically call that druids can use this on, on animals. Yeah. But I guess druids didn't make it to the last uh, version of the book. Yeah, they're still on the cutting room floor, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next spell we have is Chill Touch. So the range is touch, obviously. Casting time is one action. The, the target gets a will save versus the, the spell check. So chill touch basically uh, creates like a negative energy on the caster's hands, and then they can use that uh, on their next attack to increase damage. So one interesting thing about that spell is that you have to burn at least one, spell burn at least one point of abilities when you cast a spell. This spell at the highest level is really freaking good. It gives you a plus eight to attack and 3D plus damage until the next day. So this is one of those spells that, you know, you get it and you're like, yeah, chill touch, whatever. And then if you don't read the whole spell to the end, you're like, hmm, okay, first thing in the morning, let me spell burn down a little bit. And I don't need strength points uh, (laughs) because I'm going to get plus eight attack. Yeah, that's an expensive one. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, Mefford has had this in our actual play podcast i don't think he got to the last entry or he would have been running this all the time because that's pretty sweet (laughs) yeah right that's to hit somebody with a barehanded attack after that right yeah yeah so it's the attack bonus not like a spell spell bonus but it's not pick up a weapon and channel it through that weapon it's from your hands you know i don't know i think so it it doesn't matter when you're doing 3d6 of damage and i think there's even it's like plus eight versus undead or something um, f- for some casters, it it does because they don't want to get into combat unless they can have a weapon between them and the next guy. 
I was actually just having this conversation on G+, and I think Rick Hull is the one that uh, brought up the paralysis spell, which is later on. And there's no a difference shell. in there. Yeah. There's a difference in the the attack and the, and the wording. So this it leads us to believe that chill touch really is just touch. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the... Entries start with the caster's hands are charged with negative energy. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that. You now. would think. You know, yeah. You still get the players that are trying to work the system a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's important to note that this spell, you cast it, and that is your action. You don't get the attack until the next round with that. Be- you know, with the bonuses that you've just gotten. Yeah. So, yeah. So many details. Yeah, there are lots of details. That's what makes it so cool. I I love that they all have their own manifestations, and they all have different corruptions and misfires. It just really adds to the overall flavor. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, let's see. Next up, we've got Choking Cloud. Uh, It's got a range of 50 feet or more. One action casting time. No saving throw. Wow. That that's brutal. Yeah. So yeah, no saving throw, and essentially it summons a cloud of acidic mist, and it's it, it takes form in different shapes. You can center on targets. Sometimes you get multiple clouds, single clouds, varying sizes, anything from you know a single target to one d four small individual clouds to a a poisonous cloud of twenty foot radius, a poisonous cloud of thirty foot. Range can increase up to you know two hundred feet feet of range. 500 feet of range, so big jumps in, in this spell from who it can affect to how many it can affect and everything like that. So uh, wow, definitely yeah. gets pretty strong as it gets and, bigger. And, and do note that at the higher levels, there are saves involved with the higher yeah, I was going to say, I portion. thought there was... It's just at the lowest levels, there's, there's no saves. Yeah. Like the default for the spell is no saves, and then and then as you get higher, it gets worse. Yeah, it starts getting the four saves. Because there's here's, you know, if you fail your save, you die immediately. So, you know... <laughs> Still a powerful spell, yeah. even with a save. Wow. Yeah, we, see, we're all learning stuff here. I saw a lot more choking cloud use in my game at the lower levels. I, they didn't really break it out a whole lot at the higher levels. They were more focused on lightning bolts and magic missiles and stuff. But uh, it, choking cloud definitely saw some play in, in several of our sessions. Okay, so next we have color spray. Am, am I going in the right order here? I believe so. I want to make yep. sure I didn't miss a page. Uh, we've got a 40-foot range. Uh, duration is instantaneous. It takes a one action to cast, and there is a will save versus the spell check result. Pretty much what you would expect. The caster summons forth a spray of brilliant colors that blind and dazzle the target. The results give you anything from being blinded for a D4 round or fall unconscious and be blind permanently. So it, it again, quite the spread between the effects there. <clears throat> I've actually got a good uh, story about this one. So the first time I met uh, Doug Kovacs and uh, I played in um, the jeweler who st- dealt in, in Stardust at Gen Con. Cool. I don't know what year it was. 2012, whatever year the core book came out. So he was running and Harley was there. And uh, we're at the beginning part where we were trying to get into the merchant's house. We climbed up to the top. Um, we had some, I guess, I don't know what they were, guards or something that showed up. And, uh, oh, man, and Diesel, that was the first time I met Diesel LaForce. And he, he played in that game with us. <laughs> I was the wizard. 
And uh, I didn't even know what the hell color spray did. So he, uh, uh, no, it was Doug. Doug said, you know, you hear some people climbing up the building next to you, you see some shadows. I'm like, all right, I cast color spray. And I didn't spell burn because I had just read the book, but I think I burnt some luck or something. And I cast it and I rolled like a natural 20. And, uh, oh, nice. It was like, you know, these colors streak across the sky. And then you hear like something sliding across the shingles and then some thumps. So we never even got to see what it was. I guess it was ours or something. And I just, I just, I guess knocked them unconscious and they slid down the roof, fell three stories and died. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Pretty effective use. So good to use at night. Got it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, I guess I'm up, right? Yep. So, sure. Uh, Comprehend languages is next. So range of self, casting time, one turn. It's uh, 10 minutes for you laymen out there and laywomen. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so don't go there, Jen. The caster can understand non-magical words or images such as treasure maps that would normally be unintelligible. So the, the results of the spell is uh, you understand anywhere from one terrestrial language uh, for 10 minutes to, at the very highest levels, being able to read, write, and speak all languages for one day per caster level. So it's, it's a pretty useful utility spell. I played on this a little bit um, when I in uh, the 990th Conclave of Wizards. Um, mm-hmm. I said that um, all the different alien races on, in the city, each of their languages count, counts as one terrestrial language. So there's one one place where you might be able to use this. Oh, I don't know, it's very handy if you come across something written, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, I don't think there's anything else to talk about with comprehend languages. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's probably not a lot for that one. Uh, no, some of the corruption is good, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, whenever the caster reads any document, his eyes glow red and the document begins to heat up and catch fire. <laughs> so that's pretty good. <laughs> Again, whoops. That is a cool way to make a otherwise mundane spell interesting. Oh, shoot. The document I was trying to read just caught on fire. Yeah. I've actually got a player that her character is a mute, and so she's developed a, a form of this kind of a, a corrupted version of this spell that she uses with one of the manifestations where the letters of text flow into legible shapes. So she's given herself subtitling when she needs to communicate with the rest of the party. That's nice. Like, I, I will allow this. This is awesome. Yeah, that is, that is very cool. <laughs> Makes for good story. Yeah, that is cool. Okay, so that takes us to Detect Magic. Let's see, as per the cleric spell, the same name, the wizard version of the spell uh, has a different spell level, and the wizard receives a minus two penalty of spell checks when casting it. It, it, it. So, for example, like binding is a level two cleric spell, but a level three wizard spell. Therefore, when rolling on the table, you apply negative two penalty to spell checks. And unresolved natural one, the wizard suffers a 50% chance of major corruption or misfire, rolling on generic tables as appropriate. I think this one was a screw-up in the book, even though... Maybe they'll fix it in the fourth edition. Aren't isn't detect magic first level for both wizard and clerics? Thought it was. Let's check the chart. Uh, yeah, it is. It's listed as first level. But it's got a footnote on the chart. Yeah. So I don't know. Oh, I think huh. they just screwed up huh. a little bit. Yeah. It's fine. But you know, you know how I, I would rule this though. I think I think what I would do is that I would just use the natural one for the wizard. So if he rolls a natural one, then he suffers. Uh, 50% chance of major corruption or misfire rolling on the generic tables. Yeah, but 
Oh, and, and then he gets a minus two penalty to a spell check on it. So are you huh. saying you drop the negative two on the spell check and just retain the natural one result? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that... See, one more reason we got to go through all of these. There are a few things that are a little unclear. Is there a huge discrepancy from the first result to the last? Um, the first, it's uh, aware of magical enchantments within 30 feet, I think. And then the highest uh, levels, it's uh, get line of to sight. Rain, line of sight for a full hour. You can determine objects or creatures magically enchanted. Reveals creatures of non-mortal origins, such as extra planar, demons, uh, double celestial. Since you get an identify, too. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's handy. Furthermore, cleric or wizard receives a precise understanding of the magic strength of nature, knows of an item as a plus two sword, or that at the door is guarded by a level three ward portal spell. Finally, the spell functions through any sort of impeding material, like stone, wood, iron, at, uh, at any distance within range. So you can just, like, see all the magic through walls. Nice. That could be very, very handy when you don't have a thief. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, is the it? other thing, too, that's interesting about um, Detect Magic is um, on a spell roll of 1 to 11, it's just failure. No corruption? Yeah, no loss. Wow. So you can keep casting it. Huh. Um, no lo- That's interesting. Yeah. You know, a few of the clear spells are like that. Like, um, Detect Evil and... Um, Darkness. Well, clearly we haven't judged enough people who have this spell. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe maybe this was an oversight too, because you know it's a cleric spell, so it has a failure. You wouldn't have the the other things, misfires and stuff, because they have a disapproval. So. Right. So if it had been listed on the wizard side, you could have just said clerics disregard this. Yeah, disregard the corruption. Yeah. I mean, if I was writing this spell, I would have just put a note and said, hey, if it's a, a wizard, then you can have lost failure or corruption. You know what I mean? Oh, well. Yeah, it, it, it's, it makes it difficult because if it's the exact same spell, then, yeah. Let's flip over to this page. It, you know, it's a lot like first edition with, you know, this spell functions exactly like the first level cleric spell. Great, let me flip over to the clerics. And <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, now I forgot whose turn is it. Is it my turn? It is uh, Jen's turn. Uh, Jen's turn. Oh, I, I don't care. Pick a spell and go with it. Oh, um, you go, Jen. Fine. We've got Ekim's magic, uh, mystical mask. See, I screw it up anyway. Pretty sure that's the Ekim as in Mike spelled backwards. Range is self. Duration is one round per caster level. Takes one action to cast. You basically conjure a mystical mystical mask see i still can't say the stupid word uh cover your face and provides different benefits against attacks spells or other conditions this is one of those nice spells where you may choose to invoke an effect of lesser power than your spell check roll came out because every single result on this one is different and we got to take a bit of a look at this when we had the the spell duels over on g plus when Harley was running the uh, the Bald Mountain tournament as a little dry run last October, everything from infravision, where you know your eyes eyes would reflect light, then you're protected against gaze attacks such as basilisks. That's homophobic. G A Z E. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not reading. I'm just listening. <laughs> okay. Um, and then fittingly, Job, it, it can transform your face into a horrible visage, which then makes the creature you're facing make a will save or flee from you. Um, if you get high enough, it'll protect you from physical attacks. And if you get high enough? I was going to say, my mind went there, too. Okay, it's been a long night, sorry. spell sounds pretty cool. (laughs) The effects are typically bonuses to saving throws and attacks, but it can make your opponents run away from you. It's pretty cool because you can get a different effect every time you cast it. And some of the manifestations are cool because it'll just become a masked face on the back of your head. As your head appears to spin 180 degrees, and it's kind of fun. It, it's nice to. It gives the judge something to play with. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard a lot of grumbling about this spell at tables I've been at. They're like, "What the hell does this thing do?" It's actually very useful in uh, spell duels because you can invoke it, it. You can cast this to counter something like sleep because it'll boost your saving throws and all that. In Harley's game, right? Yeah. In this tournament, but I don't think the rules say anything about it, do they? Yeah, I don't remember it being in the... Well, I, I think you can do just a flat attack versus attack as well. They don't necessarily have oh. to be countered spells. But at that point, you're still looking at the difference in uh, initiative and whatnot. I don't know. Well, then read the next one. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's my turn, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Be that way. <laughs> I love this one. Enlarge. Be quiet, Jen. Range. Touch. Be quiet, Jeffrey. Duration. One turn for caster level. Casting time one round. So you can grow a creature or an object larger or portion of a creature larger. You can increase an object by 10% at the lowest or you can also, at the highest level, transform into a 100-foot tall giant. So mo- most of the stuff in between uh, gives you bonuses to attack damage and AC. So I've I've seen this used over and over um, at games uh, by wizards buffing up you know the warriors or the dwarves in the party, yeah. but you know the casting time on this is is a round. So if you get a surprise round, that's a great time to run over and buff your warrior. Or you know if you if it's going to be a tough one, then then maybe you do want to you know waste your round uh, getting ready to buff a warrior. So I, oh, and the spell can also be re- reversed into reduce, so you can shrink. I guess do do the opposite of whatever is on the table. I don't know, you know, how you reverse a hundred foot tall giant. Maybe you shrink the target in, into uh, into the microverse and and to to cast that as a revert, as a reverse spell, the caster actually has to learn the reverse spell. Right, right, exactly. You, yeah. And multiple castings do not stack, which is a very good thing. Kind of good thing. <laughs> yeah. Multiple right. wizards casting again and again. Yeah. And you can use reduce to cancel enlarge. Well, that's nice and fairly straightforward. I had some players uh, one time. I said, you know, there's this tiny window they couldn't climb through, and uh, so they cast enlarge on it, and it blew. And I, I was like, okay, well, it gets bigger, the size of a door, and you guys can all walk through it. Okay. So I wasn't planning on having them go that way, but okay, sure. Took out the rest of the house structure with it, but okay. <laughs> Okay, so from there we head on over to Featherfall, the classic. Uh, range of 25 feet, durations one round per caster level or until you hit the ground. And you can take a, 
make a will save to avoid it. And the feather fall, of course, slows the speed of your fall and affects on the table range anything from having falling damage to taking no damage whatsoever from the fall. Fairly typical, I think, but I don't know. Do you guys any cool stories about feather fall that you've seen used or that even get used in your games? And you can select up to a certain number of targets, usually three. Um, I actually had a, a player cast this um, offensively as something was jumping down toward them. <laughs> and she cast Featherfall, and the rest of the party killed it as it was mid-flight. And so by the time it reached the ground, it was just this puddle of gore. It, huh, that's it pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting... Yeah. yeah. That's good. I like that. So I, at one point, a window shattered, and they cast it again. Okay, well, uh, no falling glass damage then. Damn it, guys, stop! <laughs> Always interesting uses for okay, spells. So yeah. Our next spell is next. Find Familiar. Yep. So range is self, the duration is lifetime, and the ca- casting time is a week. So basically, it's you know what you expect your your wizard or your elf is bonding a creature to be their kind of servant and, and protector um, for the rest of their life. Um, it's a really good spell to have if you're if you're a wizard, especially at lower levels, because you get a permanent hit point bonus. And there's a bunch of different effects depending on the kind of familiar it is. We actually did a whole thing about this on the Advanced Magic Show episode number thirty. So if you guys want to learn more about familiars, we go on and on about them for like 15 minutes, I think. Um, So go back and listen to episode 30. Yeah, Yeah. and we dove into that one a bit. So I don't know. I mean, uh, the the only anecdote I can think about for Find Familiar is uh, with the random rolls, one of my players ended up with a giant cricket with a sexy personality. (laughs) (laughs) So that that was interesting. Okay. Uh, next on our list is Flaming Hands. It's got a 15-foot range, at, at least to start. It's instantaneous, takes one action, and there is no save. And gouts of fire come from the caster's bare hands to burn the enemies. It can go from anything like a single blast of fire for D3 points of damage or 360-degree immolation for what is it, 4d10 plus caster level for damage. Also so, known as the Towering Inferno. <laughs> right? I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, crap. I screwed, I screwed up the order, didn't I? Why? No? No, Jen did. Uh, oh, Jen did. Okay. Um, yeah, you're well, cool. Well, no, he... I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> They're words. We can all read them. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yes, Flaming Hands, pretty much what you would expect from other games. Just try not to get your cohorts in between you and your targets. Yeah, especially on that 360-degree one. Yeah, that's kind of brutal. Oh, that one uh, I guess there is, there is a says, wedge, isn't there? Yeah, you can you can change it to like say, oh, don't shoot in this one area so you don't hit your rear mate. Got but. it, man. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, you can actually pick a little area. Okay. Okay, so that takes us up to Force Manipulation. Uh, It's got a range of 25 feet. Its duration varies. uh, One action casting time. The caster can conjure shapes of invisible force energy into useful objects or barriers of a solid nature. 
on a successful casting, the wizard may choose to invoke any effect of equal to or less than his spell check, allowing a range of options with every successful casting to produce a weaker but potentially more useful result. So it's another useful one where you can pick and choose. Yeah, yeah. Now, I do believe I have a cool story on this one. When Doug was running a game at Gary Con, he had this... Doug Kovacs? Uh, yeah, Doug Kovacs, running a game at Gary Con. He had this big dude riding down this hill, charging, and it was like, what's his? What's that guy he calls Black? No, now oh. I can't remember the name of the big guy. He uses him in other games, too. But he was charging down the hill, and I used force manipulation to put, like, a force field in front. So it, his charging beast hit the field, and the dude went flying, was really pissed off, and was obviously <laughs> way higher level than our entire party, like, many times over. So it made for a very interesting uh, exchange on, on that when we used force manipulation to sort of clothesline his big bad dude off his charging mount so it was fun i wish i could remember the name of the guy black eagle talon something oh yeah something like that he uses the guy a lot yeah (laughs) but it was fun it was a good time this is one of those spells that so many people look at and they think oh force manipulation so it'll be a shield or something and they they try to pigeonhole it into what they would expect to find it in first ed or second or so forth Whereas this one, you can throw something, throw a little apple-sized sphere at someone, or you can create, essentially, Tensor's floating disc, or the shield walls. Yeah. So you yeah, have it's, it's a lot like of... Sue Storm. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got a lot of options on this one. The Invisible Woman, isn't that what her name is? Fantastic Four, okay. Sue Storm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic Four. Wow. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) More coffee, everybody. Okay. Um, Uh, You're up, Jen. All right. Invoke Patron. This is another one that uh, goes hand in hand with Patron Bond, of course, which I know we've talked about before. Um, Invoke Patron is something that you cast only on yourself and... You it takes a round to cast, and you can only cast it a limited number of times according to the results of your original patron bond spell. So let's stick a pin in that one and come back to it with patron bond. Or do you want to go over patron bond now? I was thinking we were just doing both because one thing that when we were doing the research for these show notes, I didn't I didn't realize or remember is that invoke patron and patron bond. If you get both of those spells, only count as one spell slot, which is very handy. Yes. Yeah, I think I've used them as two in the past accidentally for some of my players. Sorry, players. Well, well, they they both come for free and take up the number of, you know, one of the four slots for a level one elf. So elves get these two as a twofer for free. Right, yeah. Okay, so jumping over to patron bond then. um, Patron bond is something you can cast for yourself or on the behalf of somebody else. And there's actually results in the chart for both columns. It means if you have a halfling that you think would be a good fit with your patron, or even a patron that isn't your own, you can cast patron bond on behalf of that halfling. You then get a benefit for the new recruit from this patron. And the newly bound halfling can invoke his new patron 
using a luck check, so no spell casting is necessary. And it's usually once per month that they're able to do that, and they can ask for a minor favor. In the text, it says each time that luck check is attempted, there's a 1% cumulative chance that the patron asks for something in return. But, of course, judges will probably be a little harsher than that. What I really like is that as of result of 28 or higher, the new recruit, if he continues to recruit additional people to this patron, he gets followers like a D4 plus one warriors, and they serve that new guy with absolute loyalty and ask for nothing in return. It's kind of like Amway. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's a pyramid scheme, yeah. I, I like it. Cesarcon, <laughs> <laughs> king of the pyramid scheme. <laughs> so there, there's, of course, different results when you cast it on yourself. You get to you get bonuses for next time you cast Invoke Patron, etc. And that's going to vary depending on whoever your patron ends up being. So I, I'm not going through every single patron right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So every single patron has their own invoke patron table. Suffice to say, they're all very good in general. And so if you get invoke patron, that's a really good spell to have. Okay. So moving on, uh, Magic Missile has got a range of 150 feet or more. So this is a good one to have. Uh, the casting times one action or one turn, depending on some of the results on the table. So basically, everyone knows a magic missile is you hurl this like mystical arrow of energy at your target. And in uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, that that mystical arrow always hits and does damage. So at the very highest levels, um, caster throws three d four plus two missiles, and then each one of those missiles does a d ten plus the caster level uh, in damage. Mm. So it's very handy. And there's there's a little bit more to it about. A little bit. But not much. That's the gist of it. Good spell. You're going to love it. My favorite part about this spell is that it's the quiz essential. This is not your old school, your daddy's D&D game. Magic Missile does not always hit. Because if you roll an 11 or less, it it's not going anywhere. Oh, it's yeah, lost, or you're, you're, sure. you've got corruption or, or something, but there's always, you might do one point of damage, you might do, you know, five missiles that do a D6 plus your level each, you know, just in the mid-range results there. Yeah, magic so, missiles are a crowd favorite in my games. They love these things. Again, it, I mean, they'd, roll, they'd spell burn the heck out of them just to roll high, and they, they took some... Big bad evil guy battles and would just spell burn the heck out of a magic missile and get some pretty cool results. It was always a good time, but they are certainly, it can be a very powerful spell in DCC. If they roll well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so opposite of magic missile, we've got magic shield. It's a range of touch, casting time of one action. It summons a magical shield, which gives varying bonuses to AC, and at high levels, it completely negates magic missiles. It's also very handy for spell dueling because it's also one of the spells that can be used to counter various spells in a spell duel as well. So yeah, Magic Shield can be very handy. And this spell will give you anything from a plus two bonus to an entire globe giving you a plus eight bonus to AC as well as four other benefits. That's a pretty powerful one in and of itself. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely a good one to have. Okay, next is Mending. Um, it actually has a range of five feet. I would have thought it was touch. Um, <laughs> casting time is around. And with this, you can repair damaged objects uh, generally of a simpler mundane nature. Um, there is a reverse to this one called tear, which, of course, you would have to memorize separately. And that can cause minor defects, and the affected object would get a fort save. Although if it's of a simple, unliving nature, that kind of bothers my brain. On the bright side, the corruption is always minor. And can be anything from an, a repair that lasts for 24 hours to large objects of great complexity at a range of 100 feet. Even if they're complex or magical in nature. So quite the, the range on this one as well. Next! All right, next we have Read Magic. So it's a range of five feet, casting time of one round. Um, so it does basically what you think. You can read magical texts and scrolls. The, the spell gives you the power to decipher the context, but not necessarily cast what's on the scroll or magic text or book or whatnot. So uh, an interesting side note of this, there is a reverse of Read Magic, and it's called Obfuscate Magic. And it renders magic text unreadable, even with the read magic spell. So, Jeez. Yeah. If you really don't want someone to read your diary or whatever, then there you go. Nice. So that one's fairly standard, so that'll roll us over to rope work. It's got a range of 30 feet or more. Duration varies. Casting time of one round. No saving throw. Uh, this allows a caster to summon a rope from nowhere and command it to do his bidding. The rope can be used to entangle foes, climb walls, cross ravines, lift friends or enemies, shape itself into writing, or do other amazing things. Unlike other spells, and I think this is an important note, casting rope work allows the caster to choose any result or below the spell check. I like how DCC hides rules within... Weird yeah. places, because there's times I've let people move, re, re change their result down, and now that I've read this, it's like, hmm. Whoops. But, yeah, I could have had a lot more fun had I read the entire rule book, including the one sentence in rope work, letting me know that I shouldn't <laughs> let that happen. But, but yeah, rope work. I've actually had some players use rope work in games and stuff, and usually just somewhat of an offensive angle, trying to tie someone up, or, you know, remotely, things like that. But uh, yeah, rope work, lots of little cool things you can do with it. And it can be used offensively. So many people get that spell at my table and they just groan. They're like, well, great. This is useless unless we need to rest because they're thinking of the first edition version. Yeah, like rope trick. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I've had several people try to use it offensively and, you know, and have win with success. You know, take out a bad guy or trip him, you know, and, you know, oh, yeah. the lift friends or enemies. That That's, you know, <laughs> shoot, here you go. You're You're not moving around now. So... So I, I don't want uh, I don't want to have any spoilers here, but there's a particular adventure where there's a lot of treasure at the end, and uh, <laughs> um, I've had people. Uh, the first time I play tested that, I had people that came up and they're entering an area that's obviously a trap. And uh, so what the first thing they did was, you know, the wizard got up out in front and cast rope work and snared himself. Uh, a treasure chest and oh. had it tied around there, grabbed the other end, and they all just started running like hell with the, <laughs> pulling the rope behind them. So it definitely has its uses to, uh, you know, screw over your stingy DM. 
Uh, yeah, truer words. All right, next we have runic alphabet, comma, mortal. This is one that doesn't seem to get a lot of play. Uh, it's got a casting time of one turn, and the range is one inscribed rune, and duration is until triggered. And the save listed is a will save versus spell check result, minus one penalty if the target has an alignment opposed to the caster. In a nutshell, wizards learn alphabets of magic symbols, which, when traced, cause incredible things to happen. So the runes can cause an effect like inducing sleep, detecting lies, sounding alarms, blocking passage to a portal, paralysis, or even curses. The rune can be identified by read magic or a successful runic alphabet spell check. I don't know about you guys, but we haven't come across many runes. So this one really kind of gets left in the dust. Yeah, I've, I've, we've, I've never used it, had it used in a game, but there's some cool yeah. stuff in here. Hmm. I'm the same way, but you know, a lot of these spells, when I read them, I'm like, oh, sh- or, oh darn, I need to <laughs> dump that into an adventure because that would be totally cool. And then that one dude that had, you know, rolled up runic alphabet mortal would be able to decipher it and be like, hey, I know what this is. He'd finally feel vindicated for having this crap spell on his list, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we're on to the next one here? Sure. Yep. Sleep has got a range of 60, variable duration, casting time, one action, and save is uh, will versus spell check. Um, So sleep lulls the target into a deep, sound sleep. Uh, The caster must specify an interrupt condition that automatically awakens the target. Sleep can be natural... So that you can awaken through normal means or some kind of supernatural sleep. It depends on how, how well you roll on the table. So at least in DCC, sleep is a pretty useful spell. Uh, have you guys seen it used at the table a lot? Yeah, it's been used. I wouldn't say abused or anything like that, but it, it's certainly seen some use at the table. It's useful like sleep tends to be. I yeah. just had, uh, last weekend I had two of my casters get together and say, Hey, we both know sleep we can ritually cast this now. <laughs> and so they got the the bonuses to casting it in combat as opposed to just yeah you know, making a big circle about it. Yeah, but yeah. don't they need a longer they need like a turn or something if they do it ritually. There was something about the combined casting as opposed I I think I misspoke with the ritual magic. It's just oh, the, okay. the combined casting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, actually, uh, I, I mentioned to you guys that I, uh, I play in a 5e game um, bi-weekly. I'm actually going to it after we get done here tonight. The 5e version of Sleep sucks. Don't be butts. <laughs> it is so bad. Because I'm the wizard of the party. If Sleep is like you roll 4d8s or something. Like, okay, that sounds not too bad, I guess. And whatever the result is, that's how many hit points of creatures that you can sleep. Not hit dice, hit points. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, it's like a, in a range, a, a, an area a, a, a effect, and it automatically targets the creatures with the lowest hit points first. It's like, are you kidding me? It's like the most worthless wow. version of sleep I've seen in any version of any D&D, D20, whatever game ever. Yeah. Freaking horrifically bad. I'm like, man, I'm going to unlearn this crap. <laughs> Freaking A, half the cantrips are better than the, than the sleep <laughs> yes. spell. Yes, yes, fifth ed cantrips are very useful. 
Anyway, so, sorry for that little tirade. No. No, yeah, I agree, <laughs> though. It, in the 5e game I have, the, the caster has sleep, and it's like, man, this is sort of weak, but, you it's know. terrible. It's like a spell <laughs> in the book, practically. Anyway, you're up, Jeffrey. Okay, so that takes us to Spider Climb with a range of self or touch. Uh, duration is one turn per caster level. Casting time is one action, no save. And much as the name describes, uh, it gives you the ability to climb vertical surfaces. Uh, anywhere from a plus 10 bonus to climb checks to actual climbing ability of a spider with immunity to spider web spells. Spider web spells. Um... Items weighing less than five pounds stick to the caster's hands for duration at lower successes, and at the highest, caster can launch sticky webs up to 50 feet ranged. That's kind of interesting. It basically gives them a secondary spell, almost. Or at least a, a ranged attacks. Yeah. My players use spider climb a lot in their games. They would tend to run ropes across with it, and ropes were a major problem for them in a lot of the episodes, so uh, they liked spider climb. Hmm. So spider climb plus rope work could be really interesting. Yep. All right. Any goodies on this one, Job? Nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, ventriloquism. Range is 30 feet or more. Duration is one round or more. Gotta love the specifics here. Uh, one action to cast and save is sometimes. <laughs> 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 so the caster projects the sound of his voice from another place, such as an adjacent room, an animal or statue, down a hallway, etc. And it could be anything from a one short phrase in your own voice being thrown to a place within 30 feet and within line of sight. The listeners almost always get a will save. So the, the main little bar is a little misleading. Up at the highest levels, you can create nearly unlimited sound effects at will. And you can even hear what's happening at the point at which you throw your voice. So if you sound up to a mile away, yeah, well beyond line of sight. But you can create an ongoing sound effect that lasts for a day. Maximum duration of 30 days. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a little, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's really powerful. Not sure what you would need it for at, at that level, but I, I'm, I'm willing to experiment for good story. I haven't seen this one have any use in my games. I don't think we used it ever. Well, one of the cantrips is a mild form of ventriloquism. Like 15 or 20 feet away, I think. And I... I've seen that get used, but I don't know if I've ever seen something higher than that. Yeah. I, you know, I've seen it get used, but it's always like some desperate crap that like, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> like I'm going to put ventriloquism and make these, you know, those ogre attack the door. Like, okay. Yeah. It doesn't work. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> you have a real spell in that spell book anywhere? <laughs> Oh, that's mean. <laughs> Send him on a quest so he can trade out that stupid spell. <laughs> oh, these, these are seven and eight year olds. I don't. Yeah. I'm, just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Well, actually, you know, I'm thinking about um, was it um that that carnival of oh god, David Beatty's gonna kill me. Um, oh, but 
Yes, thank you. Uh, it's late. I could see that actually being put to use. I could see ventriloquism in the right environment, I guess. So if you're talking a, a circus-y carnival area with clowns and all that creepy stuff going on, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't want to know. <laughs> okay, Ward Portal is our final spell at level one. Range is 10 feet. Duration varies. Casting time, one action. So basically, you are sealing a portal against anyone passing through it at that point. So the, the effects range from the door just being kind of sticky. Um, you know, you need like a DC 20 to break through. I think that's a little bit more than sticking. But uh, two, completely vanishing, leaving just a blank space um, or even summoning a, uh, a guardian to protect the, the portal for the duration of the spell. So That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Have you guys seen this use of the table? I've never, I never have. I have not. We have not seen it used. You know, I've, I've seen Glyph of Warding used many times in first ed but nobody even with the same group of players nobody seems to want to tackle this one hmm. yeah and i would think it's even better i mean that that brings us to the end of uh, level one uh, spell book for wizards um so we should take this into patron bond who are you your new lord and master what orders from mortal my lord Oh, don't trouble. One thing I can't stand is people groveling. Sorry. Patron Bond. So, with Patron Bond, we normally rate the, the, the system, but this week we're going to do something that's a little different, and each of us is going to go through, and we're going to state our what we consider the best spell, and why, and then we're going to do the same for the worst spell, what we think the worst spell is, and why. So, Judge Jay. Yeah, that was... <laughs> <laughs> but since Jen spoke up first, yeah, she like wins the toss. You're going to call me out anyway. It's all good. <laughs> um, you know, for a first-level wizard in play, um, you know, I, I've got to say sleep is probably one of the best spells that I've seen put to use, and it gets really powerful when you can put multiple targets to sleep. And at that point, they basically go over and coup de gras. Um, the worst spell, I will say without doubt, is Charm Person, because it has nerfed so many of my plans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next. How about you, Jeffrey? So, let's see. The best spell... I. I got to go Magic Missile just because I saw my players make so much use of it, uh, coupled with its uh, you know use in spell duels. I mean, it caused them some frustration, but Magic Missile is high on my list of best spells. Uh, they did tremendous amounts of damage uh, with that spell. Worst spell, yeah. I, I'll I'll take the easy one in uh, Ventor Ventoral. I should have chosen one I could pronounce Ventoral. <laughs> 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 okay it's funny because it's all about speech <laughs> it is it is uh yeah that one that's the <laughs> try again jeffrey try again <laughs> i don't know why i can't say that word i normally can i swear 
Uh, that is the worst. I, I would put that as a worst spell. And maybe just because I haven't seen it played much, but I just don't see much worth. By the time it gets to be worth something, they're probably high enough level that that's not as impressive. Joe? Yeah. So, I'm going to go on a limb here. You guys are going to think I'm weird, but I think Enlarge is the best spell you can take uh, at, at level one. Here's why. It's got a duration of one turn per caster level, so you got ten minutes. And it's got a casting time of one round. So if you're somewhere where you know you're going to be getting in a fight pretty soon, I would you could cast that on on all of your fighters before you go into into battle pretty easily, I think. And you know all these guys are going to be all buffed up and charging in there. And you know at, at the, the early levels, you're not going to get one of the real really good results on it. But you know you probably get you know plus two to four for AC damage and, and attacks or something like that, which I think is pretty good. Um, as far as the worst spell, uh, I, for me, I think it's going to be a, a, like a tie between like animal summoning, just because I've just I've never seen it used for anything good, and um, Ekam's, uh mystical mask, because every time anyone's ever tried to cast that at the table, they've always been like, eh. that's, that's just my yeah. my play experience. When yeah. I read the spell results, I think like if you had that spell and you were like level six or higher like it would, could be pretty useful since you would be getting to choose which effect you want and it would be kind of like your golf bag you know you pull out the club that you want at the time <laughs> but you know if you're if you're first level or second level and you have a first level spell i don't think that would be very useful to have in your in your repertoire fair enough yep definitely also i like making fun of michael curtis so <laughs> oh. okay so uh that wraps it up for tonight. Uh, hopefully that tour through the level one wizard spell list was helpful and useful. Gave you some ideas and uh, gave you a look at some of the spells you may not have had a chance to take a closer look at before. And uh, we wish everyone a good night. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you. Good night, guys. See ya. And we're done. <laughs>